All right. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all today. Um, a lot of times we begin our messages with the scripture reading where I have you all stand and read along with me. Today it's pretty long, so I'm going to have you sit and just listen. You can follow along. Some of you are like, yes, we just sat down. We don't have to stand back up again. Um, if you've been around, we've been, uh, this is our third week in a new sermon series called Worship in the Wilderness. And we are looking at the wilderness passages uh, for Moses and God's people. And we are in Exodus 16 today. Uh, last week, we saw that God provided manna for his people um, as they're wandering and not sure where their next meal will come from. Um, it's a great lesson for them to have to depend on God. It's such a powerful chapter that we've broken it into two parts. And so Daniel did the first half last week, but we're going um, to read a few verses we read last week to remind ourselves of where we've been. And then we'll see how the manna that God provides is not just, it's not only a lesson about God providing food, but also something much deeper than that, that we see in the second half of the chapter. So I'm going to read for us starting in, uh, this is chapter 16, and we're going to read starting from verse 13 all the way up to 26. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less, but when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat, and Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. And Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you um, for your truths that you have revealed to us um, through the written word, um, God, that we know is also inspired by you. Lord, this is a very powerful truth for us to believe that you will provide for our needs and for us to be obedient to hearing your voice. And so, Lord, as we consider these words that we've just read, Lord, I pray that we would have open hearts and open minds and be able to receive um, what you are saying to us today through your word. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you read the uh, announcement emails I send out on Saturday night, I shared a brief tidbit of when I was in, I don't remember how old I was, but when I was in elementary school and uh, I was in Sunday school, we read this passage and the Sunday school teachers at the end of the class time gave us all a little cup and inside the cup 
there were like a bunch of frosted flakes, like Kellogg's frosted flakes, and they called it manna. And as kids, we were overjoyed because we were like, yes, like sugar, like, and it's snack time. And you know, when you're in elementary school, you're always looking forward to snack time when you're in Sunday school. And so we were overjoyed um, to be able to receive this thing that our teachers were calling manna. Now, there's a small description that we've read. We don't know, I mean, we've got a decent description of what it was like, but it was like the ESV says, this small flake-like thing, right? And as second or third graders, I don't remember how old I was, we were overjoyed to get this. Um, and as much as we were happy to receive this, I really think God's people would have been very thankful in that moment. And the reason for that is in the context of this passage, you remember God's people are wandering in the wilderness. And when we uh, defined the word wilderness at the start of our series, we realized that wilderness is not just about being out in nature or being out in a remote place away from civilization. It also, at least in how we understand it biblically, it also involves some uncertainty of where you are going, what's going to happen the next day, where you will find food and water. And what we've already seen is God's people, as they're wandering through the wilderness, the desert of the ancient Near East, they get very thirsty, they start complaining, and God provides water. That was in chapter 15. And then when they get hungry, they start to look back. We saw last week how they start to look back and complain, and they, they long for the days that they were slaves in Egypt, because at least, as they said, they had meat and bread. And it is amazing to see how God provides this meat and this bread. Why we are doing this series, I think there is so much for us to learn from this historical narrative where we read about um, what's happening with God's people. I don't see Joshua here today, which is a bummer because I was going to roast him, but I'll do it anyway. The other day I walked in and Joshua was talking to Daniel Gillum about school and uh, somehow they're talking about history. And all I heard, I don't know who said it, it was either Joshua or Daniel, it might have been Daniel, but someone said, history is boring. And I thought, well, I'm a history major. You know, that's what I studied in college. I don't find it that boring. And my guy Lenser in the back would probably put it even more strongly than that since he's still studying it, even as a, a full-fledged adult. Um, but there's a passage in the book of 1 Corinthians that helps us understand why the stories of Israel are so important for us. So I want to read a few verses uh, from, um, from 1 Corinthians I realize I forgot to put it in my notes, so let me pull it up. Um, I read this a couple weeks ago, but these are very important verses for us to understand why the narrative of God's people is important. And as Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and talking about the stories of old, the stories of God's people, he says this in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, starting in uh, verse 1. So let's read real quick. It'll also be up here on the screen. And Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness." Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire as they did. Let's skip down to verse 9. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. 
And so when Paul writes this, he is saying there's so much wisdom we can receive from what has happened before. So Joshua or Daniel or whoever said it, I would push back a little bit or maybe a lot and say there's the common historic like history teacher phrase where you say those who forget history are condemned to repeat it, right? It's a common phrase that history teaches like, maybe none of you know it because like Daniel or Joshua, you think it's boring, but honestly, the history of God's people is so valuable for us to learn how do we want to worship God even when we are in wilderness experiences in our own lives? And so in both of these passages we've read this morning, we are learning about the wilderness. And one thing we've seen, uh, a couple things that we've seen so far in our series, is that what we are really learning about, we are learning about God's people in the midst of the wilderness, and we're also learning about God. We see who we are when we face uncertainty, based on the example of God's people, and we also see who our God is. And that's a very important truth for us that we're going to see as we consider these verses we've read. So here's our three points for this morning as we think about the manna and the narrative that unfolds from it. First, and this will be mostly a review from last week, but we're going to see how God provides for his people. And then secondly, we're going to see that man does not really trust that provision will last. Or maybe a shorter way of saying that is that God's, as God's people, we often doubt. We doubt God's provision. We wonder if he will provide. But finally, we're going to see how God gives the Sabbath um, to help us trust that God will be a provider, to trust in his provision. So first, let's see, what does it mean that God provides for his people? Uh, this is why we went all the way back to verse 13. And so if you remember, um, at this point in the book of Exodus, God's people had served uh, as slaves in the nation of Egypt for many years, right? And they were, Daniel shared with us last week how they were put to very, uh, just, they were put in very um, difficult conditions, working super hard, being driven by, the, the, by their Egyptian masters, and they longed for their freedom. And then God gives them Moses to go and... Uh, like petition to Pharaoh, the, the leader of the, the king of the Egyptians, to let God's people go. And after you see all the plagues happen and you see much conversation, finally they're allowed to go. And then when the Pharaoh realizes that the, who's going to do all this work that's been done for some time, he changes his mind and he sends the army out to follow them. And that's where we see the miracle of the Red Sea, where God's people being chased by an army that should easily overtake them and re-enslave them, God somehow parts the Red Sea, which is an incredible miracle if you look on the map, right? And then God's people walk across on dry land, and they are able to now be in the wilderness, and they're able to have their freedom. Now, we always think the grass is greener on the other side. And so wanting their own freedom, wanting to be away from the nation of Egypt, then there's some very practical questions that arise. Where are we going to find water here in this desert? Where are we going to find food? And we've seen multiple times how our first inclination as people, when we don't have what we need right in front of us, is we very often turn and complain. And we're going to see the ways that our, uh, like our personalities and our trusting and just what, uh, like our, our normal way of life or way of thinking is revealed in the wilderness. And we're going to see that in this passage. So with all of this going on, we've seen how God's people are thirsty, and they grumble, they're hungry, and they grumble. They actually, as we saw last week, they want to go back to Egypt for the meat and the bread that they had here. But starting in verse 13, we see, what does God give them? 
He gives them the very thing that they were looking back on their time in Egypt, the bread and the meat. They have the quail, which must have been a welcome sight when they were wandering the desert. And then God gives them this flake-like thing, which is manna, some kind of wheat um, or something, right? And so they're told to gather up. Um, they're told to gather, uh, gather some up for that day. And this is where we left off last week. Um, in verse 16, there are some instructions that Moses is giving to God's people about how to gather up the manna. And uh, he says, gather, gather of it, eat each one of you as much as you can eat, and you, should, you shall take an omer. Now, for us, we don't know the, the ancient Near East uh, systems of measurement, but an omer would be about two liters. So if you have like a two-liter bottle of soda, it's something roughly when you do the, the translation based on the, the language and how people understand the systems of measurement. And so what this is saying in verses 16 through 18, it says they, you know, they, gathered, they measured it with an omer, and then uh, they gathered enough where they would eat it on that day but if, any, if they kept any of it overnight, it would spoil, right? And so that is showing, but before we get into why it would spoil or what lesson God's trying to teach them here in the wilderness, the first thing we want to see is they have complained, God, we're hungry, we don't know where our next meal is coming from, and we want to know what are we going to eat, and it shows us that God provides, right? And so as they're complaining for this food, what shows up? Meat and bread, and so at that point in the story, we can see how God provides. I'm going to move us quickly into the second point, because I think this points two and three are the really powerful ones today. But we want to go back and see where we left off, that God had provided, um, even though they were complaining, and we're going to see this even more in future chapters, God's people uh, continue to be unfaithful in a variety of ways, and God is so gracious and compassionate that he always continues to provide for them. So that's the first thing we see that God provides. And that gives us some context for, I think, the really important parts of today's passage, where we see the way that God's people respond and their mindset and how they doubt that this provision will last, and then why it's such good news that God gives us the Sabbath. So the second thing that we're going to see is uh, God gives some instructions for how to gather the manna each day. And in a nutshell, it's you're not supposed to keep any overnight. And what happens when, it, when, when they keep it overnight? Let's reread starting in verse 19. We see Moses says, don't uh, leave any of it over till the morning. In other words, you're supposed to eat everything you gathered for that day. But they didn't listen to Moses, and they keep some of it. And then what happens? It spoils. Uh, one time, uh, I left some pizza out, uh, thought it would be okay the next day, and just thought, okay, it's, it's, it's probably fine, and uh, had food poisoning for the next two weeks and lost a lot of weight because the food had, had uh, spoiled overnight, right? And this is why we have systems of refrigeration. And it's very fascinating to see the scientific properties of the manna as this passage unfolds. It's really fascinating. But at least for six days... What happens is, if you gathered up extra and tried to keep it for later, it would spoil and it would be inedible, right? And that's the instructions that they're given. Why would God's people do this? And in preparing for this message, I was thinking about uh, an experience I've had in our youth group on Friday nights, and I realized God was giving me the perfect sermon illustration to help me understand why, as God's people, they would save some manna overnight. 
For five straight weeks, we have been watching a TV show called The Chosen, um, which is a fantastic crowdsourced TV show about the life of Jesus and his disciples. That's not the point. Every Friday, because we're watching something that's about 45, 50 minutes in length, I make popcorn for the youth group. I emulate my role model, Greg Robertson, who let us eat all the food in his house when we were in youth group growing up. And I will make, I bought the big Costco pack of popcorn because I realize everyone loves it. And I'll make five bags because then they stay reasonably warm and it takes about 10 minutes, right? So 10 minutes before I'll start popping the popcorn. I'll keep it in the bag. Some of you will help me empty it, right? And then we play a game to see who gets to get popcorn first before we start watching. And then people are actually into it because they want the warm popcorn and they know if they're on the losing team, there's probably not gonna be much left, right? Why is that? That is because when I give you instructions, there's these bowls and I say, you are not allowed to fill the popcorn bowl more than its brim, right? Now, some of you who are sitting in this room right now, who I will remain nameless just for the sake of anonymity, do not listen to my instructions. And you fill these bowls very, very high with the popcorn. And then when Amber, who graciously waited till the end, went back, then there was no more. Why? Because as human beings, we have this tendency to hoard things for ourselves, right? And you are laughing because you know that this is true. Now, um, I don't know that much about Chinese culture, but what I've come to see from meeting a lot of my friends and thinking about my own Japanese heritage, as Asian people, we are pretty good at hoarding things, right? I see a lot of heads nodding right now. When my great-grandparents passed away and my family and I, we went to go clean out their house, it was amazing how many things we found had been stored up. We didn't realize like this many like items could be kept in the small like two bedroom house that they lived in. Now for us as Japanese Americans, there's a big reason for that. For my great grandparents and also my grandparents, a lot of uh, people of Japanese descent, you, you will know from history that many of our people lost everything when World War II happened, right? Now, and that's why you can see some mentality of thinking, okay, now we've accumulated all these things when everything had been taken. And so you can under understand why there might be this human tendency to have these things. Now, I don't know what it's like to be an immigrant, but I know for many of you whose parents have come here from another country, it has involved an incredible amount of hard work and hardship. And so it makes sense that we have this tendency to hold on to all of the things that we've worked for. And yet, for God's purposes here, he's trying to show his people how he wants to be a provider day by day by day. But as humans, we have this tendency to hoard things for ourselves. Twice a week in the morning, I wake up very early and we have open gym basketball at Bret Hart, the school that I coach at. And um, the kids start trickling in around 6.30 and we give them 15 minutes to, to warm up and to shoot, shoot the basketball for a while before we get started playing. And we have a rack of basketballs and there are 16 basketballs on there. And just last week, one of the kids, he was like the fifth kid there. So let's do the math. There's five kids, there's 16 basketballs. And before he goes into the locker room to change into his, his shorts and his, and his t-shirt and, and his basketball shoes, he took one basketball, hid it under his backpack in the bleachers so no one else would find it because he was worried that it wasn't gonna be there. And it was just like, okay, let's do the math. There's, a math. there's only five of you here, there's 16 basketballs. Why do you need to hide one right now? Like, just go change, come back. There's still gonna be like eight basketballs. But as human beings, we have this tendency to think that what we have will run out. And we need to hold on to it 
so tightly for ourselves. And that is because we are very well trained at being self-reliant people. Now, you can understand for God's people that because they've been hungry, they've been wandering for a while, I'm, by no means am I saying it was easy for them to follow God's instruction. And yet, God is trying to show them what it means that he will provide, right? And so we have a hard time trusting that like, these provisions will be there. That is what man does. We often think, what I have is going to run out. And we use our own human intuition to think, okay, how can I best provide for myself? I need to gather everything up and store it, uh, store it away so I know that I have something in the back of my mind. And so if any of you, like for all of us who are adults, like I was thinking, like, okay, why, youth kids, are you hoarding the popcorn? Like, if you can wait, like, 10 minutes, because this is the norm, like, normal, like, mode of operations, the popcorn's, like, opened, they go get the popcorn, I start the episode, I've already watched it to, you know, pre-screen it, I come over here, I make five more bags of popcorn, which will be even more fresh. Like, if you just wait 10 minutes, there will be more popcorn, I promise. And yet, whoever goes first lives as if there will be no more popcorn and piles it up as high as possible, right? And it's just like, if you've been here multiple weeks, haven't you seen that the popcorn will be there? Like, I promise you, like it happens every week. Like if we start watching at eight o'clock, by 8.15, there's five more bags of fresh popcorn. Now for God's people, we've seen God provide miracles over and over, over and over and over again. And for us as adults, we might be thinking, oh, these silly youth kids, like, you know, why can't they just, why do they have to hoard so much popcorn? But we have this tendency for ourselves as adults as well, don't we? And this is where I think we can receive so much wisdom from God's word about how God will provide. Because as adults, we don't do it with popcorn, but we do this in other ways when it comes to stocks and investments and our bank accounts. Like many times, we, I, many of you have probably done this just as I do. Like you check your bank account, right? And then you log out and then you're like, wait, do I still remember? Is this there? Is the money still there? And then you go and check again, right? Because we are so concerned about what we have and what will still be there. And God is trying to show his people, I want to be your provider day after day after day. It's not an easy lesson for us to learn. Now, for us, we may have a hard time connecting with the food part of it. Uh, living here in Silicon Valley, hopefully we, we can see we are quite blessed with God's physical provisions, right? But the, I think the way that we want to apply this truth is many times we are waiting for God to do something that we've prayed for for a long time where we have a hard time being patient, when we're looking for that promotion at work, when we are looking for that uh, difficult circumstance in one of our relationships to change, where forgiveness might be there, and we might think, God, how long are these relationships going to be this painful? Or when will you provide what I'm looking for? Um, I've shared this before, but when we go to Mexico with the youth group, um, one, of the, uh, one of the girls of the family we've ministered with a lot, um, the Flores family, some of you might remember them, uh, their girls have served as translators with the organization that we go, uh, that we go to Mexico with. And uh, she has, the oldest one, Annabelle, she has been a translator for us, several of our sister churches, and she said something so profound to me that I'll never forget from working with Asian American youth groups year after year after year. As we were sitting in one of the poorer areas of Mexico, watching the kids play soccer in the, the, the dirt roads, 
she said to me, you know, I've, I've learned a lot about Asian American culture from all the churches that have come. Like I almost, she's, you know, born in Mexico, bilingual, but I almost consider her an expert on like Asian American spirituality because of all of her uh, experiences um, with Asian American Christians. And she said, here in Mexico, we have very clear physical needs. And she said, but I've come to learn that for a lot of the students that she's gotten to know, she says, you may not have the physical needs that we have here in Mexico, but I can tell there are the emotional and spiritual needs that a lot of the youth have that come here. And then she said something really striking as we're watching like families who live off of, you know, less than $50 a week, if you do the, you know, calculations, which is not much money. She said, I'm not sure who's in worse shape which is a really powerful statement. And what that shows us is a lot of times we have these desires that we want God to meet and we're not sure when God is going to answer. And it is hard to be patient. By no means is this passage meant to trivialize our waiting for things that we are really hopeful that God will do. And yet God is trying to show how he wants to be our provider day in and day out. And so we can see how we have a hard time trusting that God will provide. And so the last but probably the most important point for this morning is what happens in the, next, uh, in the second half of the chapter where we see how God gives us instruction about the manna when it comes to the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is something that we've talked about before. I preached on it right before I went on sabbatical because that's where the term comes from. And it's really about rest. But what we're going to see in this passage is it's actually about so much more than that when it comes to depending on God's provision. So let's read, starting in verse 22. It says, On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Today is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. And Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. These instructions that God gives, I find very fascinating. Because there's, there's, uh, there's just a lot to unpack here when we think about these instructions. So uh, on the seventh day, so six days, the manna is showing up in the morning and people gather it. And the people are instructed to understand, on the seventh day, the man is not going to be there, right? And then the instructions are, okay, you weren't supposed to gather up extra on all the other days, but on the sixth day, you will gather up extra because there will be none the next day, right? Now, for me, uh, someone who wrestles with ADHD and having a one-track mind for many things, if I was one of God's people, these instructions would drive me crazy. Be like, either tell me to wait like till the morning every day, or tell me to gather up more for the next day, but don't do like a mix and match of it. Like that's too confusing. Like give me one or the other, right? That's what I want, right? The same boy who hid the basketball, we were teaching him, uh, not just him, but all the kids we coach, we were teaching them when you want to commit an intentional foul if you are at a disadvantage on defense, right? And so sometimes you'll hear the coach yelling foul. It's to stop. So then they, if there's three of them and two, two defenders, then you foul them so they have to inbound the ball so all your teammates can come and guard them, right? 
And so we taught him the importance of fouling. If you don't understand basketball, this may not make sense, but it's very similar in the changing of instructions. And then the next time when we're playing on a specific time where he should not foul, he immediately went and fouled the kid saying, you told me like that's what I'm supposed to do. And we realized we had to be more clear in our instructions. If I was part of God's people here, I would be like, tell me what it is. Gather, don't gather, wait, don't wait. Like, what is it, God? When we think about our theme for this year, to put out into deep water, and what we mean by that is listening to God's voice, the way Peter listened to God's voice when he said, go out into deep water and let down your nets. It was something Peter had probably tried, right? The amazing thing about God is that he doesn't work the same way in every single circumstance. And I think it's actually a really amazing, amazingly trusting thing of God to give his people different circumstances. For me, because I can have a one-track mind where it's, is it black or is it white? Is it this or is it that? When we are asked to be obedient in a variety of circumstances, I really think that's a way where God wants us to see how many different ways he's going to work and what our capacity is to, tr- to trust him in different circumstances. Does that make sense? In other ways, it's showing how God is dynamic. In one day, for six days, he's saying, follow these instructions very carefully. But then he's saying, can you trust that for this time, you can gather enough, and then it'll, it won't spoil? And that's, it's, the scientific part of it is interesting to me. When it talks about the baking and the boiling, perhaps that suggests that there were ways that, at least on that sixth day, they would cook the manna somehow to, you know, the same way where you will cook something that's raw and then refrigerate it so it doesn't go bad and put it in the refrigerator. It could be the same kind of thing. But either way, the principle is trusting God's instructions that are one way for six days and then it's slightly different for the seventh day. As God's people having a relationship with him, we need to believe that we are capable of following his instructions, even if it isn't exactly the same all the time. And I think there's actually great joy in that because the circumstances in our lives can change where God is working one way in one moment and leading us uh, to follow him in one way in one season, and that might change at some point. And it shows how God is dynamic. In the, uh, in the famous story, Prince Caspian, the Chronicles of Narnia, um, as Lucy and her siblings are trying to go and help the prince who's in despair, When she finally comes face to face with Aslan, the lion who represents God, she says, Aslan, I thought you were going to show up and scare away all the bad guys and then everything would be fine, just like you've done before. And she's referring to the, the previous book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And Aslan tells her, things don't always happen the same way twice. And it was a lesson for her to see how, as the the powerful being that they trusted in, that he might not work the same way as he did in the past, but that she could trust that he knew what he was doing. And I think that is the lesson that God's people are being given here in the wilderness. And it's a really important lesson for us here as well, that God may not work the same way as he's worked in the past exactly, but we can still trust that he has our best interest in mind. And it shows us that God is so much bigger and can meet our needs in so many different ways. If we keep reading, we see that the people have a hard time trusting this. Because in verse 27, it tells us that on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather. So that even though they've been told, gather extra, and they're like, woohoo, this time we actually get to keep some, like overnight, we actually get to gather more. And then as human tendency happens, they still go out looking for more in the morning, right? 
if we are to trust God's voice and trust in his provision, then we need to, then we need to believe that what he says is going to happen. And by going out and looking for more manna in the morning, it's a way where they are not able to trust that God knows what he's doing. And in verse 28, the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. And so the people rested on the seventh day. And we see where God's people are starting to understand the instructions that God has given them. And so because this is not easy for us to remember as humans, there's a very fascinating end to this chapter where the the process of God providing the manna in a sense becomes memorialized with this interesting kind of ceremony or process that you could call it. Um, But it's a way where God wants his people to remember that he provided the manna for them in the wilderness. I think it's very fascinating because I think it teaches us about some of our tendencies for how we want to remember uh, or how we have trouble remembering that God will provide. So let's read starting in verse 31. It is not easy for, it's not easy for us to remember that God will provide, but I think these next verses uh, are a helpful instruction for us at the end of this chapter. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a a habitable land. And they ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. So what's happened here, if an omer is about two liters, roughly, it says the people were to take a jar and fill it with manna. And so to keep it, why? As a reminder of how God gave the manna to eat. For a crazy time frame, right? 40 years. Like this is not just a one week like trial, like well, let's see if God has provide. 40 years, which is a long time, which we'll get into more throughout the series of all the things that take place during this time in the wilderness. And it, it makes me wonder, like, what happened to that manna? Did that spoil? Like, did that go bad? We're not told. It just has to, it has to kind of just continue to uh, walk around in our imaginations with that one. But the whole point of them putting the manna in the jar was so that they would have a physical reminder of how God had provided for them which was probably helpful in times where people like, needed that reminder for themselves. When I think of, as, as, uh, as much as I'm making comments on how easy it is for us to hold on to things and not get rid of things, when I think about a lot of things that take the space in like, my own closet that I should probably clean out at some point, like that's not the main sermon application here, but it would still be a good idea, that I do realize we have an attachment to things that are important to us that I think could be considered similar to this jar. And uh, if you think about, like, I have this old, like, photo album of pictures from when I was in youth group, when Greg was in charge. And anytime I look through there, it just brings back good memories. I think many of us have things like that. When I really look at those pictures, 
it, it's not just to see like, uh, oh man, like look at the camera quality back in like the late nineties or like, look at all the fun that we had in all those years with Greg. Really, it's a reminder of how God was working back then and a way that I can trust that the same God is going to work today, right? And I think that's why God wanted them to have this jar. And so if there are ways that we know God has worked in the past, it's important for us to look back. And when we think about the words of the Apostle Paul, where he says, look, don't forget about these things so we can learn from the doubting and the grumbling and the unfaithfulness of God's people, I almost see the book of Exodus like that jar where we can go back and read it and remind ourselves of how God has worked in the past of his people. And if we've got like either physical or even mental like memorials of like maybe the most powerful ways that God has worked in our lives previously, it can really help us if right now we are having a tough time trusting that God will provide. And I think that's the significance of this jar of manna that God's people were meant to keep. And so why is trusting in God's provision so important? Um, for us, I, like I said, I think it's far less about the material things um, because of how God has blessed us living in cities here in California. But I do think we have trouble trusting in God's timing and circumstances when we are not in control of every event of our lives. And so two concluding questions for us to really learn from this passage and hopefully trust in the fact that God is a loving provider he may not provide in the exact ways that we want, or we may have this human tendency to want to hoard everything for ourselves. But two questions that I think are helpful for us when we think about God as a provider are these. Are we thankful when God provides? Do we spend time thanking him for the things that he's done? Um, if you were at our Vertigo Adult Fellowship this week on Wednesday, we were blessed by having Greg and Ginny come back and share a bit of their testimony with us. And uh, they wanted to be here this weekend, but they had to get back up to Arnold before it snows again and all the roads close. But, um, but anyway, he's online. What's up, Greg? Glad you're here. Hearing about the, the, so just the way that God had worked in his life, even for both of them to meet and get to know each other through their, through their circumstances, I was just blown away by how God works in really miraculous and powerful ways. And then I thought about the years of my own youth group experience, all those Friday nights that were just uh, filled with so much of God's goodness for year after year after year. It just reminded, came flooding back to me, hearing Greg share about um, his own testimony and how God has worked in his life. And I just remember when he would be here with us in our prayer meetings, he would always start off his prayers by saying, God, we thank you, and then fill in the blank. And when we are thankful for the ways that God provides, it helps us trust that he will do it again. And that's a really important truth for us. And so when we think about all that we have to be thankful for, are, if we can answer this question with yes, are we thankful when God provides? I do believe we will be less likely to try to hoard things for ourselves and do it ourselves and be able to let go and trust that God wants to provide. The second question is this. Do we know that we don't have to do everything ourselves? And living here in Silicon Valley, being well-educated and being trusted in very successful companies or businesses to take care of a lot of things, this is a very countercultural question that the gospel poses for us. Because at the heart of it, when we think of our own salvation, we are not able to do it on our own. 
And the whole reason why the, the idea of the Sabbath is so important. You see, this is the second, um, really the second mentioning of the idea of a Sabbath throughout the whole Bible. When God created the world, it says what? On the seventh day, God rested. Why? Is it because God was tired? Um, as we discussed the creation story in Youth Sunday School this morning, I think we realized, could God create the world in six days is really the wrong question. It's, can God even create the world out of nothing at all? And if so, what would stop him from doing it in this time frame and, and not getting tired? All of those apologetic questions. But I think the reason why God would rest is he's wanting to set an example for us to see that we don't have to do everything ourselves and we can trust in him. And so with this pattern, which would have driven my ADHD mind crazy if I was one of the Israelites, six days and then it changes, and on the seventh day, you just rest. The reason rest is so good for us is not merely just to get a good night's sleep or to go out and find something recreational that we like to do. None of those are bad things. Those are good things for us. But the reason why it's important for us to rest is to see that we still need to be dependent on the God of the universe to provide things for us. You see, we try, if, I think if we have the opportunity, many of us would work seven days if our companies like, required it of us. Some of us work seven days even when our companies don't require it of us. And so it's so counterintuitive for us to trust. I can like, sit back and see how God's going to provide. It's the whole reason why we hoard up the popcorn for ourselves, right? We don't, we don't trust that it's going to be there, that more is coming, right? But when we think about who Jesus is, he is the most important provision for what we really need most. And the manna and the Sabbath, it represents that for us as humans who are prone to sin, prone to selfish thinking, like thinking about the popcorn or all the other ways we, we hoard things up for ourselves, we needed a Savior to forgive us to have the burden of our sins and our self-centeredness and the ways that we fall short lifted from our shoulders so that we could actually know what it's really meant to be, that we're truly loved, that we're truly forgiven. The reason the Sabbath is so important for us is it's not just about rest, but it's remembering that Jesus is the one who laid down his life for ours when we couldn't work or find that salvation that we so desperately need. And the Sabbath, the day of rest, certainly it's meant for us to stop and reflect and pause and try to remember God. But it's so much more than that. It's really about trusting. Do I believe that God will give me everything that I need? And it's, it, I'm sure it was not easy for the Israelites. And you see how they have trouble trusting God for the duration of these 40 years. And you see patterns exist over and over and over again. But hopefully we can take a look back in our lives and see how God has provided for us in many different ways. And that way, when he doesn't do it exactly on our timetable that we have for him right now, that we can trust that he loves us and he has our best, our best interest in mind. It may not always feel like it. I'm sure it didn't for the Israelite people. But we see, as God shows up in the wilderness time and time again, that he loves his people and he's with them. And if we are experiencing our own wilderness at this time, whether it's a question we've been asking God for maybe seemingly 40 years, some of us are not that, some of us haven't been asking God a question that long, some of us haven't been alive that long, but you get the idea. If we've been waiting for our circumstances to change, can we look back at the ways where God has provided for us in our past and trust that he knows what he's doing and that he will give us exactly what we need?
That's the amazing message of what it means that six days they were meant to gather manna for themselves. But that seventh day is a reminder that God is ultimately in control and that he will do the most important things for us. In fact, he's already done the most important thing by giving us his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And so that is why we want to worship him when we experience wilderness seasons of our own. And I pray that the manna in the wilderness and the manna on the Sabbath will help us trust and be patient that God knows what he's doing. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, just the ways that we can look back and see how you so graciously and so faithfully provided for your people. And Lord, um, I know for many of us, God, when our circumstances are out of our control, I know this is true for me, it is so hard for us to trust in you. And so Lord, I pray that we will, be, we will learn what it means to be okay to rest, that we will be okay to learn what it means to wait upon your timing, or even to allow someone else to provide for us in a way where we want to prove ourselves or so desperately want to do something for ourselves, to show our own self-worth or to prove to ourselves that we can do it. God, I pray that we would stop striving, that we would be faithful in following you, but we would also be, uh, God, just patient to know that you love us, and God, that you will provide for us upon your timing, the way that we just read about in your word. So God, we thank you for your word being a pattern for us to learn from, and I pray, God, that we would put this wisdom into practice in our lives so that we would be able to experience your goodness and your faithful provision for us day in and day out. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.